Hi there. Welcome to today's episode of the Beam Podcast from Super League. My name is Matt Edelman. I'm the President and Chief Commercial Officer of the company. We help brands get into the 3D internet through immersive platforms such as Roblox, Fortnite Creative, Minecraft, and even immersive commerce solutions. Our job is to help brands and IP owners figure out what to build in this space, how to engage the audiences who spend so much time in 3D environments, how to ensure that brands who make an investment in the category are amplifying their reach to the rest of their community, and then that they can measure the results of what they've created. Today, we have two creators joining us from the world of the 3D internet. We're very excited to have you learn from them directly about what is working in the space and what is driving brand success. We have Michael Herriger, the CEO of Atlas Creative, and John Carl, the VP of Creator Relations here at Super League. Both of these guys are deeply involved in what's happening inside a world we don't talk enough about because there aren't as many brands yet diving into the space, and that is Fortnite Creative. It is an active area of the 3D internet, but not quite at the level of Roblox, and it just deserves more attention, consideration, and dialogue, which is why we've got these two gentlemen here today, and that's gonna be our focus. But before we dive in, in keeping with the early Beam tradition, I wanna just get a little bit of a sense as to who these two gentlemen are. And I'm going to start with Michael. And I understand, Michael, that although you're not living there now, you are a pretty big Miami Heat fan and that somehow that's come around to play into your professional life. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I grew up in South Florida and was a huge Miami Heat fan, loved all things basketball. And Really just growing up, I told anyone that would listen that I was going to work with the NBA one day. That was the dream, was to make it and eventually work with the NBA. In my mind, thinking it was going to be like broadcast or directing shows or anything like that. But it did not work out that way. Did end up going to film school to pursue it and everything. But life takes crazy turns. And I ended up in marketing, doing gaming on the side. And was like, well, that was just a dream. But then ended up starting Atlas Creative. And within the first few months of starting our company, we got a call from none other than the NBA. And we got to work with them two years in a row. And the one year we did was the one that the Miami Heat went to the championship. So it was really exciting and kind of like a full circle moment. Like, oh, dreams can come true. Oh, that's great. And I love that they called you, by the way. So that's yeah. maybe <laughs> one of the best parts of that story. You know, we also, with John, such an interesting start to your professional career. You started off working for WWE, yeah, World Wrestling Entertainment. I mean, come on. How did that happen? And what was it like being around those performers, otherwise known as wrestlers? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of unexpected. How I got there is not how anybody is recommended to get there. I actually trained how to be a professional wrestler when I was 19 years old. I was not good, but I was very easy for people to throw. So I ended up transitioning into being a manager on the independent circuit. And through my ability to make a crowd really dislike me, I got the attention of somebody on the writing team looking for a writer's assistant at WWE and ended up spending about two and a half years there. Was there during the PG era, which was really interesting. You know, it was 
WWE getting into brand friendliness and we had like a Ford Mustang show up at WrestleMania, things like that. Life on the road was amazing. And there are certain stories you can't talk about. The story I can share was at one point I accidentally almost killed Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> we were on the road together. It was his first week on the road. We were sharing a car because he was also one of the riders. And we got to the airport. We emptied our bags out of the trunk. Have no idea what he thought he saw, but he reached back in as, you know, six in the morning on no sleep. We're shutting the trunk. And I, I hit him in the back of the head. Most gracious person I've ever met. Like, I would have freaked out if somebody did that to me. He's like, no, it's all good, man. But that was how I almost killed the guy from She's All That. All right. Well, definitely not your typical... Not traditional. Work, work experience when you get out of the gate. Um, I love, by the way, that we have a little bit of common sports interests, if you're willing for WWE to be considered a sport, which I think it deserves. The wrestlers certainly train quite hard. So we jump from sports into gaming. And Michael, going back to you, Atlas Creative, one of the most dynamic and prolific companies in the Fortnite creative space, UEFN, as it is now called, where anybody can build their own creative island and try to draw users from the Fortnite ecosystem into a special, unique place that is designed from a pure, authentic, original, imaginative place. Tell us a little bit about how Atlas Creative got started and what you're focused on as a company. We started three years ago now. We're actually in a week celebrating our three-year anniversary. And really, I was in marketing, kind of just working in the event marketing space. And I met Jordan, our co-founder, who was going to school for architecture. And so very different paths from what we're doing now. But we both loved Fortnite at the time. And when they introduced Fortnite Creative, we both had some early individual success just from building in our free time. And that's how we met. And we decided after talking a good bit that Fortnite was going places. And if we wanted to be there while it did, like we needed to do something uh, bigger than ourselves. And so we started Atlas Creative. And from there, pretty quickly, we had our first brand deal with Microsoft to bring Halo's Blood Gulch into Fortnite. And then soon after that, the NBA and things just kept rolling. This past year, got to work with Mr. Beast, which was a, a great dream come true as well. And now we have about 20 employees. So it has been a wild ride of a three years, but it's been exciting every step of the way. I love that. Three years, 20 employees working with world recognized brands. I'm curious, you know that John's background is really connected to the creator class that emerged a little bit before the creator class of the current world that we focus on, which is the gaming creators or really game builders as opposed to the YouTube creator class. When you think about the creative work that you're doing and you look at what's happening across UEFN and even across Roblox, what is driving the creator in today's world, the 14, 15, 16-year-old up to the 22, 23, 24-year-old to do exactly what you did on the side, building on the side, trying to express yourself by creating a game with tools that are available to everyone. Where do you enter that 
space? How do you get to that mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to build a game? Is it because it was so hard to build games before these tools existed and now you had a chance? Was it based on wanting to pursue a career and becoming a full-time game designer? How did you enter the space? And then John, actually, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question about that. Yeah. So I went to film school and on top of just love of all things film and creative, I just, I really loved storytelling. And so it was exactly what you said. Like it was just a need to express creativity. And I honestly was not able to do that in my day job at the time. And so it just turned into something of like, I do love video games. I didn't realize you can actually make a job out of it at the time. And now I feel like it's a lot more normalized, but we just started building. And I don't think it was really for the intention of getting players at the time. It wasn't even really, it was mostly just for us to play games with friends and see what we can really like push ourselves to do. And so that kind of was the early drive. And then it it turned into so much more. John, when you think about that story and the description of how Michael and Jordan got started, and then you think back to what an aspiring video creator might have in mind when they start putting their first videos together and posting them on YouTube, is the mindset similar with all of the creators you've gotten to know in your career? Did most of them begin just because they wanted to express themselves, or has it really Uh, matured, particularly in the video space where, hey, if I'm going to create a video, I've got a goal in mind, and that's to see if I can create a business. I think over time, it has absolutely evolved. If you go back to 2012, 2011 era YouTube, when people were starting to make a little bit of money, that was for the love of the content. And then eventually those groups and teams like Rhett and Link, for example, that was two friends just having fun. And they've become one of the most successful channels and group of channels on all of YouTube. There are still people today that are going in with that mentality. I'm going to make something cool with my friends. I'm going to enjoy it. And if it's successful, fantastic. Let's build a business at that point. But I have also seen, especially in the last six or so years, there has been a mentality shift, especially looking at kids today. You know, if you ask an 11 year old, a 12 year old, what do you want to be when you grow up? Some of them will say, I want to be an influencer or I want to be a YouTuber. And I feel like we're starting to see the people who are looking into Michael's grouping. I want to be a developer in Roblox. I want to be a developer in Fortnite because now they know it's a thing they can do versus a decade ago. You didn't know you could actually make a living by making videos, building maps, things like that. That makes sense. I guess it's natural. If you're creative and you are interested in film and television as you were initially, you're probably thinking of it the same way. You, at that point, there is a mature business. There is a potential career path, although in entertainment, it can be just as unpredictable as anywhere else. But you're really starting out with the aspiration of turning it into a career. And now following what's happened in the YouTube space, the gaming space, looking at a similar model makes sense. There's been a relatively significant change in the Fortnite creative world with the launch of 2.0 and what is now called by Epic UEFN. Michael, can you explain a little bit about why the industry around creative maps, creative islands has accelerated You know, since that release? Yeah, no, for sure. And UEFN is really just Unreal Engine within Fortnite is essentially what it is. That is the goal long term is to basically be able to provide creators that were already building in Fortnite and 1.0 to 
the same ability as any developer that's building on Unreal Engine. And it's still like obviously going to evolve and we're only in the first, I think, six months of it being out, but already it has opened so many possibilities for creators where before you don't even have the ability to create your own UI or you have to makeshift logos out of thousands of little pieces and now you can 3D model. And so it has evolved and changed a ton since the 1.0 days. Just to get the vernacular clear, what do people call what they're building? Are they always called maps? Are they always called islands? What does Fortnite call them? Do people use UEFN as a reference point or do they say Fortnite creative? It really seems to be a fluid language compared to what you see, for instance, in Roblox. Yeah, so the official language would be islands. Early on, it was maps and Epic officially announced that like they call their experiences islands. And so that's like the official thing that we will say. The I think next best thing that we call it internally is just experiences because it is, it's not just building games anymore. Like the reason I think we've gone with generic terms like maps, islands, and experiences is because now like that can look like a concert. It can look like a social experience more than a, a typical game you would see. And so uh, that too has evolved a ton since it first started. One of the reasons that we care about Fortnite Creative and Islands, and frankly love the term experiences because that's what we use when we're talking about what we build in Roblox or what we build in Minecraft, is the prevalence of brands looking at the space. And it seems that there are a handful of ways that brands can enter Fortnite and do something that they hope has a consequential outcome. John, you talk to brands regularly. When you're presenting a brand with opportunities related to Fortnite Creative, what are the two or three or four high priority items that you mention that help them think about how they should enter the space? Sure. So one of the things, and Michael, please feel free to jump in on any of these. I ask, are you looking for something short-term or long-term? That's usually the first thing. And if they're looking for something short-term has to do with a launch of a product going out, then cool. Let's integrate into an existing map. Let's find a map that is already getting meaningful traffic, has a loyal ongoing audience in there, and how do we naturally integrate your product into that map? That's usually the, the first go. If they're looking for something longer term, I really start to ask the important questions of, what are we looking to get out of this? When you're saying long-term, are you going to continue to update the map or are you just hoping that you're gonna be able to publish and then walk away and still have traffic coming a year from now? Realistically, that latter scenario isn't going to happen. But sometimes we do also get brands that are looking, oh, well, how can I get my vehicle into the game? How can I get my character as a skin? And unfortunately right now with the limitations that we have, things like skinning a character or skinning a usable item in the game, you do have to go to Epic directly on those. We haven't been able to put you know, our own characters into the player's hands just yet. Michael, how does that affect your conversations? So a lot of times we're coming to you and asking, you to collaborate with us to bring a brand into Fortnite Creative. We'll touch on at least one of our recent collaborations. But generally speaking, if 
you're in a direct dialogue with a brand, or you're just thinking about how to empower companies like Super League to bring you more opportunities and become smarter about the space, what are some of the high points that you emphasize and, and start to suggest as the entry points? John covered a good bit of it. I think the other big ones are if you are going to want to make your own map or if you're going to do brand integrations or even there's options to literally just have creator portals where you show off an image or an ad that you want in game. And so those are like the three big ones. And it is, it's all about just kind of that learning curve, just because the space is so new can be pretty steep when we're talking to brands. But early on, we just try to get them familiar as quickly as possible. And working with partners like Super League has been great because you all understand Fortnite really well. And so it's a lot easier to kind of have those conversations. One of the things that we have recognized as a bit of a distinct quality associated with brand programs in Fortnite Creative versus brand programs in other platforms is the challenge around discovery. How does a brand get its own island to be on the radar of Fortnite players? Where does that sort of come up, Michael, in your discussions with the brand? Are they looking to you to help them figure that out? Or are they really saying to you, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to cover promotion and amplification. We're going to talk to our friends at Super League who understand audience building and marketing and promotion in this space? Or do you sometimes get involved and help give them some guidance around that part of their strategy? We've seen it both ways. I think the number one thing we usually stress is that it is not a magical button you hit when we publish an island. It doesn't just show up for millions and millions of players. And I know there's so much potential with Fortnite that I think a lot of brands come in thinking it's that easy. And it just simply isn't that if it was, I think a lot more people would be doing it and we'd have a harder time competing at Atlas. But the important thing is just making sure that they know that there is going to have to be a marketing plan with it. Just like with anything else, you are releasing essentially a product that in itself is great brand awareness in itself does show up to Fortnite players, but not in a scale that is meaningful without a very strategic plan behind it. And so Yes, a lot of times we'll work with our partners on that. Other times we're working with partners that more than have it covered like you all. And so that's kind of where we are with marketing. To jump in on that, I also think when people are, are looking at it, they'll look at the map itself and they're not thinking about the narrative outside of that map. Are they looking at the title, the thumbnail, things like that? You go into any of the pop-up experiences that happen around Los Angeles, the ones that are getting people to go into it are the ones that feel cool from the outside. It's not just because a brand's name is on it that they're going in. It is the blockbuster retro experience where they transform an entire bar into a blockbuster and everybody who has all the nostalgia fuel for blockbuster is going in there because, yes, I want to order my drink by handing in the VHS box. So. How do we translate that over to Fortnite? And it's to make people feel like what we've been saying, it is actually an experience as opposed to just, this is a marketing ploy. And if it feels like a marketing ploy, especially on Fortnite, where your average age is that 17 plus that is a little bit more cynical, they're the first ones to push back and say, oh, I see what you're doing and it doesn't feel good to me. 
Looking at the space broadly speaking, and maybe we can start, Michael, with just looking at your business. You've got 20 people. Obviously, everybody's busy. You are building and maintaining islands on a regular basis. What is sort of the division in your company between the original islands that you've built and either have achieved enough success that you're continuing to maintain them or you have ideas for other new experiences you want to bring to life versus the experiences that you are building for brands? What is sort of the rough percentage between those two? That's a great question. I would say we strive to be as close to 50-50 as possible. That is like our goal is to be pushing out as much original content as we are doing work on the brand side. We love both sides of it, but I feel like the only way we're going to truly succeed is if we have a good balance of the two because they do play into each other well. And when we are having successful maps on our own, it only benefits our partners when we go and work with them. It, similar to how we've done the integration with Haichu. When you think of the choices that you have, right? You have choices within an original map design, and you have choices that are dictated to some degree by what brands are comfortable or not comfortable with entering the space. Are you seeing a different range of options between those two parts of your business where for original islands, you can be more mature in the kinds of gameplay that you focus on or are brands really embracing everything that the slightly more mature mechanics allow? We see it both ways where there are some brands that are pretty strict and don't want anything combat at all. I think one of the things that we talked to a brand early about is that Fortnite is historically, it's battle royale. It is a combat game mode and there are ways to be really successful without touching combat at all. But Fortnite players, they do, they love combat. And so if that is on the table, it's just a whole different kind of path we walk through. And so it really just depends on the comfortability level. I think that's one of the important parts of us making original content too, is because the more we're doing it, the more we're familiar and in touch with what players are actually looking for so that when a brand does come to us and we're in that ideation stage, we can let them know this works, this doesn't, because we've also been through it. And that also separates you from other developers that are out there because not every developer that is in the space is actually making successful maps that stand on their own without a brand having them come into play. So there is a level of trust that partners can have when we work on a map together for an integration, that if somebody has only built brand maps, you don't know if it's necessarily going to convert over between the two scenarios. And vice versa, if they haven't had any experience with brands and just original, then there is a big, we believe in building extraordinary things. That's like our one word. And it is really important when you're working with brands to do everything to an extraordinary quality. And you don't have that necessarily if you haven't had the experience of going through that. That makes me wonder, John, when you're talking with brands and presenting them with Superleague's point of view, are you hoping that a brand is comfortable with some degree of combat yes. or do you feel... Absolutely. Okay. Elaborate on that. Yeah. It also goes back to what I was saying earlier of you already have a little bit of hesitation from the player 
for an experience that is going to be branded unless the branding itself lends like an audience coming to it. You know, one great example was My Hero Academia. They did a build that was a My Hero gym in Fortnite. And people came to it because you could get the official skins and then you go into the Creative Island experience for it. Fans of My Hero wanted to play My Hero. But when you go into a standard CPG brand, you don't have that same level of instant appeal baked into that IP. So when I'm looking through, you know, an RFE and responding to it with the team, I'm hoping there is something for us to grasp onto that we know the audience is going to jump onto. So even if the IP isn't there, at least let us do a gameplay mode that we know has the best chance of success. And there's absolutely maps that are out there that can succeed without needing combat. Only Up is a perfect example. There is not a bullet shot off in that entire map, but it is technically also based off of a piece of IP from a very popular Steam game. So if I can't have the IP that's going to drive to it, I need the gameplay mode that is the most popular at this point. Like Michael said, it's the foundation of Fortnite is on a gun-based battle royale, and there are variations within it. But, I mean, we know from the numbers, it's... 55% of people playing from a playtime perspective are doing Battle Royale. So that means 55% of people want to be able to shoot when they're in a Fortnite experience. Interesting. So, I mean, we all know about the magnificent event that Epic created a couple weeks ago when they re-released the OG Fortnite and the player counts shot through every previous record that they had achieved. I think they literally hit the highest player numbers they had ever experienced, which makes a lot of sense, right? You know, when the OG Fortnite first appeared, Fortnite was incredibly popular. And now that's, what, six years ago, five, six, seven years ago. And bringing it back, they had all of the current roster of players who are engaged in the game. But the players from five, six, seven years ago decided, hey, they wanted to get back in and be part of the community again. So the numbers went through the roof. Did that, Michael, have an effect on player counts in Fortnite Creative as well? Yeah, it did. When it first came out, we were nervous and rightfully so. It, it dipped a little bit because everyone was so excited to see what was going on over there. But now that it's been a few weeks, we were literally just looking through some of the data yesterday, and it's really cool to see when UEFN was first launched, you could kind of scroll through and there are like three or four maps that are averaging 30,000 to 40,000 concurrent at a time. And when we were looking through the other day, there are now 10, 20 maps that are getting towards 100,000 concurrent. And it's never been like that until they did that wow. big release. So it's exciting that I think a lot of creators take it as like a downside that Fortnite was Battle Royale and like there are some effects to that because you do you get natively combat players and you get all of this but also the bonus and the pro is you have Epic's marketing wing and creative mind behind you where they're going to continue pushing their platform and doing amazing innovative things that are going to bring players in for you and so as long as you're in the space and ready to kind of have your fishing net out, like you should catch some fish. What are the kinds of bait that work to get players to to come into a creative island, whether it's something new that you're launching, whether it's one of your original islands, or even something that you're advising a brand to consider? Are there, you know, specific 
tactics, techniques that at very least will pull players in to explore the possibility that they might like a new creative island that's launched? I would say just looking at as much data as you can, looking at what is popular on Fortnite, what's popular on other games. Literally, if I think it was six days before the only up popped off, we were actually at a client's headquarters and we literally said, when we get back, we have to build only up because it started trending on Twitch and everyone was going crazy. And we got back and right when we started building, someone released it. And yeah, just looking around, seeing what's trending, what's popular, looking at other things like social media, like if Hunger Games just came out, would have been awesome for someone to build a Hunger Games game mode where you start in the middle and you spread out, like things like that. It's almost similar to YouTube where you can basically hack the algorithm by looking at the real world and looking what's going on outside of YouTube as well and then pointing it in. What's funny is it's also in this early YouTube era style for thumbnails right now. Because if you go and you look at any of the websites that are ranking the creative islands by what are most played, the thumbnails are incredibly reminiscent of each other, especially at the top. You have six or seven basic templates and almost every game at the top is following one of those templates right now. That's interesting. It's digital marketing 101 when you're placing an ad in somebody else's platform or a discovery system, there are always best practices. I mean, you can even think back to SEO as a critical best practice that had to be learned when it became such a big driver of traffic to websites. And if you didn't adhere to those best practices, you just fell in your rankings over and over and over again. When you think of the trend catching sort of approach to being in Fortnite creative, how quickly can you actually bring something to life? Maybe it is different if you're using code and a piece of an engine that you had previously, but if you found a trend like with Only Up, you get back to the office and nobody else had launched a version of that gameplay, how long would it have taken you to get something live? I have to be careful because I don't want to say something and then any brand watching out there is like, we need this in two weeks, but because there, there is on the brand side, we go through a lot more quality assurance. But if we're like really rushing, like an only up could easily probably be around two weeks, especially considering there isn't a ton of programming to it. It's a lot of just visual design and players climbing up. That could be two weeks. But if you're talking about like tycoons were just really popular if anyone makes a tycoon in under a month, it probably is not going to succeed because it's just a lot more involved game mode than an only up. So really depends on the scope. So John, when you are talking to potential brands about getting in the space, are they usually giving us tight timeframes or are they looking at programs that are coming six plus months down the line that are tied to, as you said earlier, product launches or an entertainment launch of some sort, and these timelines have a bit more flexibility to them as opposed to a brand coming to you and saying, look, I want to get on the hottest trend right now and just be in Fortnite creative. So we've been in that happy middle ground. We're usually not getting stuff like a full six months out from a movie launch or a show launch or stuff like that. It's usually somewhere in that three to four month window, which when we've talked to you know Michael about ground up development that has fallen into that appropriate time frame of let's go, let's ideate, let's put something together that makes sense, 
but has the time for that quality assurance. We usually don't get people asking to be in Fortnite in under a month, thankfully, because I think, Matt, this is one thing you've seen with me. I am a stickler for quality, and if I don't think we could put something out to our best foot, it's very hard for me to make that recommendation and say, yes, we should do this, and it needs to be done in three weeks. That's always a very challenging scenario to be in, and we've luckily not been in that for the Fortnite side of things. So we had some time. You guys talked about achieving something for one of Super League's partners, and it turned out to be a really fun and successful program. John, if you could kind of summarize and introduce what that program looked like, who the brand was, what some of their objectives were, and how you approached Michael. And then Michael, how did you take those objectives and figure out what to do that would really be exciting for the player base, but also give the brand the kind of presence they would find valuable, be able to talk about, and at some level would be able to advance their brand goals. So the brand was our partners over at Haichu. Working with them, we knew that they wanted to get into Fortnite and they came into it with an incredibly open-minded perspective. They came to us saying, we want exposure for the Haichu brand. So our team did some early ideation and we figured since there was not a need for it to be its own creative island experience, we said, let's integrate into some existing maps. Luckily on this one, Haichu, super open to hearing opportunities within maps that did have gunplay and those that did not as well. So put that together, uh, utilized roughly the same benchmark that we were doing from a CPM perspective um, on the Roblox side to kind of give ourselves a, a benchmark to work with. And then we approached Michael and the team and we said, what, what do you think your best maps could be that we could organically put this product into it. That was a big piece of it for me during that proposal stage is figure out where it's going to fit and where it can feel natural. And even if it isn't, not every map could be as natural as Atlas Hiding Game, which for those who don't know, Atlas Hiding Game, it is a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style map where the player character is roughly, what, five or six inches tall or so, Michael? So there are giant candy bags, wrapped candy around the map and people are running and jumping and hiding inside it, hiding behind it, etc. We had other ones where it was a lucky block where one of the power-up blocks had Haichu branding on it. It still didn't feel out of place, but it, not everything is going to be as 100% organic a feel as Atlas Hiding Game. So I know I probably jumped on your toes a little bit with that one, Michael, but yeah, it was going to Michael and his team and saying, from this collection of awesome maps you have, which are the ones that are going to be able to fit this brand the best? You covered most of it. I think the biggest thing, just to reiterate, is just the authentic feeling that you get when you play these games. Like There are tons of brands that want to come in and kind of have almost a billboard approach where it's just you enter and it has brand name right in your face. And that's the easiest way to have a player just leave and go find a new map. And so I don't think, well... I know because we've done the research, like Fortnite players don't mind branded things at all. Like they show up big when they are into it, but they also know when they're being sold to and they're very smart. And so it was a lot of fun trying to ideate and think through like the thing with hiding game is not only 
does it show up in a, a real natural way, but like you can actually go in the bag and hide and it's now a hiding spot. And so your brand literally just became a mechanic within a popular game, not just a thing that was thrown up on the wall. And what I really liked about hiding game in particular was it wasn't just one scenario that it was integrated. It wasn't just the bag. There were areas where it was a few pieces of the wrapped candy in small piles on the floor or specifically, you know, the classic red solo cup that you ran over to the solo cup. You jump in, you crouch down and you realize what's filling up half of that cup are also Haichu wrappers too. So it felt very much like a dorm room to me because you guys obviously had certain things like, oh, there's a giant pizza box that's half open and half in. So it's like this felt like the players were in the aftermath of a college party to me. Let's talk about the players for a minute. You said, John, that Haichu wanted to be in Fortnite. Now, that might be because they just think Fortnite Creative had the right tools, the right graphic design quality, the brand they wanted to be associated with. But of course, Roblox is sitting over here on the other side of the ledger, and it's becoming more and more attractive for brands that are targeting a slightly older audience. Their fastest growing segment is 17 plus. So what was it about Fortnite that Haichu identified early on where it sounds like they didn't come in and say, we're not sure where we want to be. Help us figure it out. They said Fortnite from the beginning. What inspired that? Well, we also wanted to target male 18 to 24. And while Roblox has been doing a great job of getting the perception of their game to start matching what the actual player count is, the perception is already there for Fortnite, that it is a 13 plus and 18 plus audience that's already going in there actively for the most part. I think that that was a big piece of it as well. And the freedom of the gameplay of, yeah, we want gamers to like us. And there's all the differentiations within gamers. Like you have casual gamers, you have social gamers, you have core gamers. They really wanted to hit that core gaming group. And usually first person or third person shooters are like the quintessential fit for a core gamer at this point. I'm going to take that question over to you, Michael, from a slightly different angle, which is you made the choice when you were building for fun on the side while you were a marketing executive to build in Fortnite as opposed to Roblox. Was that because you are more of a core gamer and you had more of an instinct around that type of game design? Was it then as you thought about making it a business more about the age group or characteristic of the player audience inside Fortnite? And what do you see as the differences maybe between that player base and the player base inside Roblox? I would say I just was in Fortnite. I was a player. I loved the game. At the time, the notion was for Roblox was just for younger players. And I kind of just missed that want to play. But yeah, I was just in Fortnite and fell in love with it. And so that kind of was what led into everything else. I will say I played Roblox since and done a ton of research. As of December 8th, Atlas Creative is actually launching a Roblox division as well. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And and we've so we've been deep diving into Roblox and I think the perception is that it is young and they are trying to do things to age up. But it is fascinating once you go and play like it, it is. It's not just a game for kids. It, it is a, a lot of fun. But I do think, yeah, perception wise, we see a lot of people coming into Fortnite that are looking to target that older demographic and, and Roblox, the opposite. 
So you talked about the future, the future of Atlas Creative being a multi-platform game developer is awesome. And I have no doubt the success you'll find in Roblox is going to mirror the success that you've achieved inside Fortnite Creative. Ultimately, while they are different platforms at their core, it's about understanding game design, game mechanics, the trends that you mentioned, and also the way to achieve discovery to give you enough of a player base so that you can test and learn and look at the data, refine your game, make updates, and really grind your way to getting players who are excited to grind on their own as they spend time in your game. So looking at the future and thinking back about the release of UEFN and some of the updates that have come out since the initial release, are there features and functions that you know are coming because Epic has said they are on their way that you are most excited about? And then features and functions you don't know if they are on the roadmap, but you would love to see. I would say would love to see, not sure about the roadmap though, is it would be amazing to have some more monetization options where you can actually create your own skins, create your own weapons, anything like that within the game. I think that's one thing that we've seen in Roblox be really successful. And a lot of times when you hear that, it just, of course, you want monetization. But no, it's it's literally giving more options to the players and players literally love being able to customize their outfits. And when it comes to brand work specifically, it would be amazing if you're working with, let's say, Squid Games. You have Squid Games characters within the game. Like, it just kind of heightens it. Or if you're playing Cops and Robbers, you have actual skins that can match your game. That would just take it to a whole new level of being able to immerse the player. Trying to think what is currently announced on the roadmap. We just got save progress, which has been really great. And I hope they continue to evolve that because that is going to basically be able to let us develop games that are more kind of those long-standing games where um, up until they just released save progress, you really you couldn't have those like carryover games. Like if you were playing a tycoon, if you leave, progress is forever gone. So I hope they continue with that. And then I hope they also do things like vehicle mods and being able to create your own things. Because right now we can use verse code, but we also are pretty reliant on their devices when it comes to vehicles, like snowboards, things like that. That makes sense. I know that the desire of players in general to customize their experience and change out their avatars and the desire for expressing personal identity in these spaces is remarkable. 70% of Gen Z has already, you know, sort of indicated that their digital identity is as important to them as their real world identity. Makes a ton of sense that you would be looking forward to that. And certainly you would think based on everything that Epic has seen be achieved inside Battle Royale with skins that they would put those tools in the hands of developers to really enliven the Fortnite create audience even further. I guess, John, I'm going to ask you the flip side of the question. Is there anything that brands consistently ask about Fortnite that you have to tell them, unfortunately, they can't achieve? Is there a type of functionality, something related to discoverability, something that is just really desirable, but we can't deliver it? The ability to customize a working car that looks like the IRL vehicle is one I have unfortunately had to tell people multiple times 
it is just not there for us right now. The best we could do is have a static version of, you know, whatever that car is next to whatever our experience is. So that is a little bit disappointing sometimes to have to say that there is just a limitation we cannot overcome within all of UEFN. There is not anybody who's able to do this. And the one thing that also doesn't really help in automotive, the car mechanics are incredibly basic. So, you know, if you have name brand car next to a clunker that's rusty and in garbage, they drive exactly the same. So even when there were licensed vehicles via Epic, they still drove basically the same. You weren't getting advantages by it, which isn't great when you have a high-end luxury vehicle driving the same as the thing that looks like it's about to fall apart on the track. Definitely not in line with the brand of certain automotives. I, I yeah. really find it interesting that that's the number one question that you've had to answer just in the sense that it seems that at least among the advertising verticals who look at gaming as an important platform to reach uh, an audience and grow an audience and create new brand affinity that automotive manufacturers are paying a lot of attention to Fortnite. It must also relate back to the perception that the age of Fortnite players corresponds with the time when people are starting to maybe have to make their own choices about their first car, their first lease. You know, if they're lucky enough to have gotten some support for a car when they were younger, it was probably their parents covering those costs or some of that. And now that they have to deploy their own money, these auto companies want to be in front of them early and first. So not surprising that that's an industry that has paid a lot of attention. Yeah, I would say it, that is the most common one in terms of quantity of times I've answered it. I'd say the next would have been, especially movie-driven IP, if they did not have an official partnership that there was a skin from their IP in the game, wanting the player character to be able to be that skin has been the probably the, the close number two for me. Because a lot of people didn't want to go into a Battle Royale combat mode, but they were okay with something being narratively driven, you know, a five to 15 minute mini experience there. But especially at the time that we were talking about that before the new modeling software came in, which I still believe is only available for the NPCs in the game. Lots of people said, oh, I want my character to be the star of this and the players get to be them. And that was unfortunately something that we weren't able to achieve. And, and I still, at this point, don't believe we can yet either. This has been a really enlightening discussion. I have not gotten a chance to spend as much time learning about what's possible in Fortnite Creative as I have inside Roblox. And an increasing percentage of Super League's business is connected to what's happening inside Fortnite. And there are some pretty remarkable opportunities that we're exploring with brand partners and with Epic directly that I hope can come to life. As we conclude this very informative conversation, I just want to ask Michael one final question for you, and that is, is there something that irrespective of current or desirable future functionality, if you could sort of look out over the next two years and figure there are going to be some new capabilities within Fortnite Creative and hopefully they will become quite expansive and flexible. Is there something that's just been on your mind that you are just burning to build inside Fortnite Creative that if the platform advanced just a little bit further is something you could bring to life that you think would really excite the community and be a, a big success story? 
one of the early games that Jordan and I made together, like early days, was something called Fortville. And it was essentially open world role playing, like kind of like Sims meets SimCity. It, it was a lot of fun. You get to like take on different jobs and that really hasn't been touched in UEFN yet because Save Progress just got released and we're still missing a few tools there mixed with a few other things. Something like that would be really fun to make just because we did it in 1.0 and it worked and it got a lot of players, but also it was 1.0. It was very like looking back at it now, I'm like, how did people like this? But yeah, something like that would be great. And if looking forward, if we're ever working with like a brand, I think the dream would be Disney at this point. I feel like we've gotten a, to check quite a bit off our list, but at building anything for Disney or any of their IP, I think would be up there. One of the brands within Disney is a brand that John and I are very close to from different parts of our career, and that's the whole Marvel universe. Would love nothing more than to have Super League bring Marvel to Atlas and together create a spectacular Fortnite creative experience. So that's where we're gonna leave it. That's the goal, that's the aspiration. When we have this conversation 24 months from now, hopefully we'll be talking about exactly what we've built in that uh, regard. So thank you guys very much. All, for... I'm, so, all I'm saying is Deadpool 3 comes out in nine months, supposedly. So that's good. That's going to be the goal. Deadpool 3, this partnership and a little bit of Marvel sort of woven in. We'll, we'll go for it. Thank you guys again. Michael, good luck with all of your end of year and early 2024 initiatives. Hopefully more of them will be with Super League. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Beam. Please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to watch our highlights on YouTube and definitely stay tuned for the next episode where we will bring you additional exciting information to help you as a brand or IP owner succeed on immersive platforms in the 3D internet. Mm -hmm.